When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Tennis Direct are Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, the first serves in-depth look at the art and science of playing the game. Well, welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. I'm Mark Sapoulos from The Tennis Menu, and we are joined by the man with all the numbers, Mr. Shane Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics. Shane, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everyone. Uh, yeah, great to be uh, back on air um, talking to you all, and uh, we're looking forward to this episode. We are, and it's uh, obviously going to be a very different episode that we've done in the past. We've actually doing a bit of a Q&A. We've got a lot of questions from a lot of coaches out there, and we do want to throw this out to everybody to ensure that you get in touch with us and uh, give us whatever questions you've got around the world of the art and science of tennis. And we wanted to go through a few of the questions that a few of the coaches have sent in, Shane. I know, um, you know you're, you're a very sought-after data analyst, so um, there's a lot of different coaches. I'll probably get you to, to run through these questions, and what we'll do is we'll answer them the best that we possibly can for each of these coaches and uh, ensure we give them a bit of a shout-out as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so I might kick off. Um, first question we've got is from Bill uh, Patonsky, for, uh, coach from Penn State, a great friend of Tennis Menu. So shout out to Bill. Uh, he had a great question around um, making the server work. Um, and in his coaching philosophy, he uh, he always encourages, you know, the returner to make enough shots. So there's an opportunity for the server to donate points. But he just wants to see what, I suppose, the numbers say about this and, and is his philosophy right and should he encourage the returner to be more aggressive than than he has been so uh, i might start off giving some numbers out to mark and then uh, get mark to sort of put his lens over it from a data perspective the average male servers when they get broken they're hitting 4.6 more shots in games than when they hold serve and the females are um, hitting 3.7 more shots when they get broken compared to to when they serve so on face value that does indicate that making the the server hit a few more balls does get you uh, a break but um, i think uh, i'd be keen to sort of unpick that with mark a little bit yeah i, I think obviously the numbers do say that it's 100 correct that we do need to make the, the server work there's no doubt and you may not break that first time that you do it but it might be that that constant pressure over time that uh probably makes a big difference and i feel like you know if you're returning serve the, the whole idea is to neutralize the rally in your first two shots you know the return to serve the first ball try and neutralize and get it to an almost even playing field I feel like the, the first two shots the server has is their chance or opportunity 
to actually take control of the point through a serve and first ball. And if you're the returner, your job is to defend, your job is to neutralize, and your job is to get the ball back on 50-50 terms. And if you can do that, you've probably done a really good job. Um, and and I'll, I just want to touch on two concepts that we've talked about in previous podcasts um, that sort of do tie in with this, and that's attacking with safety and serve ascendancy. So usually early in the rally, the server, in particularly on, on the first serve, they have more of an opportunity to attack, follow up their serve. Um, they'll have generally have a better court position, got more options. So like Mark said, the first couple of shots for the returner is really absorbing that and, and getting themselves into the point. But then later, as, as the rally progresses, there will be sort of more opportunity for the, the, them to attack. So you, you'll notice that the best returners in the world, so the Djokovic's and the Dahls, they're so good at absorbing those first two shots and then reconstructing the rally into that into their favour. Yeah, it's almost like a, a story of, of two tails in each point. So you've got the first four shots and you've got post those four. You know, the first four shots are, can the server get control of the point? Can they take control through that first strike of the rally? The returner is trying to to nullify and neutralize that rally. And once the four shots is over, like you said, the point resets and Nadal Djokovic and these guys that have been at the top of the game for so long have had such a good ability to neutralize the returner serve that it makes it challenging every time you step up to serve the ball you know you're going to be in for a really long game and you know even the the best players in the world best servers you know guys like john isner and uh kevin anderson and and evo carlovich they they are always having to to play longer games against these best returners and and that's what they make you do is they make you earn it and you know it's a great question because i really do believe that that perceived pressure over a longer period of time gets them, you know, gets the break. It's not that first time you do it. It may be the third or fourth time that you make them earn it. Absolutely. Great question there. Might move on to the second one. And, and um, it's coming from Sebastian Lane in Finland. Um, good friend of Sebastian's um, and, uh, and, the, and the guys in Finland in Tali Tennis Center. So thanks for your question. His question was, in relation to juniors, is data more important for players or coaches? Might get you to maybe start on that one, Mark. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, and obviously junior is... Is, is 18 and under. So it probably is varying in terms of which player we do look at and what stage of their development they are in. But I think data is great for coaches no matter what the age of the of the player. I feel like we can utilize data to back up our philosophy. We can utilize data to get our point across or to get buy-in. Um, so no matter what, I think it's always good for a coach to, to understand that. Um, and it's also good for a player to, to know what they're doing well and what probably what are the areas that they need to work on. I think there's a bit of both in that. I don't feel like there's a definitive answer for either, but as a coach, I love to hear all the data, regardless of whether I use it or not. I feel like it's important for me to know how many balls are hitting, how many tournaments they're playing, how many shots they're hitting, what's their loads. There's so many different data points to that. So, you know, I think at a young age, you've got to look at data loading as well as match loading, um, as well as match stats, sorry. Um, And I feel like, we need to understand all the aspects of what data can bring and not just one or the other. So, you know, the players the players themselves, and, and we've talked about this before, Shane, if I give a player too much data, they're going to overthink it. So some players really like that heavy data aspect and some don't. So I feel like you've got to pick and choose which players you do tend to release your data to um, and, and make sure you only release what they need to know rather than everything else. So try to avoid the, the negative data. I think that's a really tough one if you're giving players always the things that they're not doing well i reckon it's really important to balance out which data you give them and how positive or negative you are framing that data good answer i, I think um i mean this question actually challenged me to, to think about this as well um yeah, sometimes you don't step back and think, think about things like this but for me I, I feel like 
the data, you know, that, that I distribute is there for two purposes. One, to, you know, obviously help the player improve performance and understand the game. But th- there is the educating the coach and helping them reaffirm what they sort of see and they feel in their gut, but they just need some sort of numerical sort of grounding. So I think they're the two main purposes that, that I, I see from the data that that's provided. Um, and then there's a concept of, you know, firsthand getting the data and secondhand. So often the coach is that firsthand getting it straight from the analyst, or it might be, you know, a smart court, it might be an app like swing tennis. They usually get it firsthand and, and the player, particularly at the junior levels, they'll get a secondhand where it goes through that filtration through the coach and the lens. And, and that's where the coach might pick out, you know, I'll balance out some of the negative and give some of the positive info as well. So I think, yeah, it's hard to say it's more important for one or the other, in, in my opinion. Um, I think uh, the benefits are there for both. So yeah, I probably don't answer the question, but I think it's for both really. And I think that the big thing about data, Shane, is that it's open to interpretation. So, you know, you might get a number and one person sees it as a, a real negative and one person sees it as an extreme positive, you know, and I feel like, you know, the data is interpreted. If, if you, you're talking about firsthand, secondhand, if the coach gets it firsthand, what are they interpreting? If the, if the data analyst gets it firsthand, what are they interpreting? What are they relaying to the coach? How does the coach interpret what the data analyst is giving them? How do they then give that message to the athlete? Now, if it's going through three or four chains, it can it can get lost yeah. in translation. Um, and this is the hardest the hardest thing about utilizing data. The other way to do it, and I, and I hope there's no players listening to this, and I hope it's mainly coaches, but coaches do fluff up the the data that they need to fluff up to show the athlete what they are doing is working at times. You know, so you know, there's times where I've utilized your data, Shane, and and you know this uh, to players. And you've given me a number and I've said, let's inflate the number, you know, and, and say to the player that every time you come forward, you're a 90% chance of winning at the net. And they go, oh my God, I got to keep coming forward, even though the, the, the percentage is probably 60, but you know, that's how it's going to get them to become a better player and win more matches. So you inflate the numbers. And I think that's the art of coaching is using the science and going, oh, how can I fluff this up to make the player buy in a little bit more? So it's definitely open to interpretation. It's definitely something that is really important for the coach to be able to use the right messaging and the right way to put it across and always balance out between positive and negative. Another great question. This next question is from Tom from Tennis of Melbourne. So uh, I know particularly those around Melbourne listen to his podcast series. So thanks, Tom. This is a question that he actually asked me um, when we, we were chatting, but we, we never really got around to sort of answering it. And it was, what do you do if there's something really important in the data, but the coach isn't listening or understanding it? So it was directed more at the analysts. So I, I might start off and, and I think, Firstly, I think it's really important not to take these things personally. Um, I think I can tell with firsthand experience, whether it's tennis or whether it's another industry, there's a lot of analysis that, that you may do that just never gets used or doesn't get used straight away. So I think park your ego away a little bit and um, and just accept that that's going to happen. It's not a personal attack or anything like that. And secondly, just understand, I mean, particularly in a tournament, there's a lot going on for a coach. And I, I know Mark can sort of speak to this, but from me observing some of the coaches that I work with, it's chaos at times. They've got so much to do. Uh, particularly those in a, in smaller teams or lower rank players, they they they've got many hats on. So um, understand that you know the time for the analyst is not that significant. You've got to be really short and sharp with whatever messages, and and it's got to be important things. So I think that's probably the context in terms of if there's something really important, you've got to understand can the player action it now, and the coach is a better best judge of this. And if it's not something they can action now, you've just got to park it and pick a time. Maybe it's the off season. You can sort of communicate, articulate it better. And then, and then maybe, you know, you, you may do something with it. So um, I don't know if that answers the question. And, and, and Mark's certainly got a right or reply here. So 
I'll, I'll flick it to him. Shane, Shane knows that there's times where I probably won't be listening to all of his data. Um, and, and there's probably times where I don't understand it and I have to ring him up and say, hey, mate, what are you, what are you really talking about when you've got this number here? So um, there's definitely those times. But on the flip side, there's also the times of um, where the player doesn't understand what the coach is saying. You know, this is, this is communication. That's all basically it is. And, and I feel like if you've got a really good team, communication is very easy because you, you all connect really well. And I know Shane and I have worked amazingly well on, on a lot of players. And, you know, you see the real benefits when the communication lines are open and, and everybody is open to listening. Um, and, I, and I hope that Shane's felt that from my perspective is that I'll always listen to what he's, he's got to give. But then I guess on the other side of that is that I'm not always going to give what Shane tells me to the player. And I think that's the critical component is dissecting what is like crucially important, what I feel like the player can absorb um, and utilize and what they can actually action. You know, if I feel like, you know, what Shane's given me isn't something that my player can execute, then there's no way I'm going to give it to him. So I need to hold that back, even though Shane tells me that's, that's the exact thing that it's going to work. So you know, if a player is struggling from a grip perspective to hit cross-angle balls, you know, I can't give the the angle stats that Shane's given me to my player because I can't execute that. So there's no point using that. So I feel like we need to really know our athletes. We need to work well together. Using a data analyst isn't just about getting numbers. It's, a get, it's about a relationship and it's about trust and it's about connection. And if you don't have that within your team, I feel as though it doesn't matter how many great numbers you do have, the connection is the most critical part of a successful team. And I think that's where, you know, Shane and I have had success in the past. Yeah, and I, I want to stress that last point. That there's no shortcut. You, um, you have to build that relationship. And all the teams that I've worked with, really, I, I think about when we start to where we are now, it, it, it takes work. It takes, you know, work on both sides to understand how each other thinks and, and the communication gets better as a result. So I think to all the analysts I'm appealing out there, um, really work on those soft skills. It, it, it's, it's probably the most important thing for you to have outside of, you know, your mathematical or analysis ability do not take a shortcut on the communication great answer mate really good answer next question uh, this one's from selwyn james on twitter does the movie moneyball style analytics happen in tennis so i might just give a quick quick summary to to those that may not have watched moneyball it's um it's a movie about using analytics in, in baseball so in the, the main actor brad pitt he's the general manager of the oakland a's baseball team and basically, they lose their star player. They're trying to replace him. They don't have the budget. He uh, brings in an economist um, who is played by Jonah Hill. Um, and they use sabermetrics to assess sort of player value to try and sort of build that team back up with um, players that don't cost a lot of money, but the numbers show that they uh, add value to them. So yeah, it's an interesting movie about really a, a team sort of using analytics um, as a driver to, to for their team and um, there's a really good scene that I recall from it um, and all the analysts will will love this scene because um, it's got a group of scouts and coaches around the table and they're trying to evaluate who to bring into the team and uh, and there's a lot of talk about sort of technique physique confidence he's a good looking player um, but um, the general manager goes yeah but what does the numbers say um, and and in the end uh, they, they go with the numbers um, and uh, the team ends up winning 20 matches in a row breaks I think the the baseball record for all-time matches in a row. But there's a bit in the movie which I think is, is relevant to our discussion today. Um, they actually lose early on. So they bring this team in, you know, a team built of numbers, but the coach doesn't buy in at all. The players don't play to the coach's philosophy. And it's only when they start playing to the coach's philosophy and, and, and there's a buy-in from everyone that they would go on that huge winning streak. So 
I think that's the relevance to, to tennis that you can come in with whatever, but if the players, the coach or the analyst, they don't all buy into the same strategy or same philosophy, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, that's uh, it's a great, great analysis there of that movie. I, I actually haven't seen it. And when you explain this to me pre-show, I really, I got it. And it's interesting because I think a lot of coaches out there really try and create this perfect athlete. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if you've got an athlete that can execute what you want them to do and they can play the game and, and that knows how to win, if you create a great relationship with them, they get the buy-in. Um, I think it's it's really critical. And, you know, obviously, you know, I know we've coached in matches, um, Shane, together as a team where um, our player probably wasn't the best player on the court, but through the use of data, through the use of being able to break up you know, the opposition player to be able to utilize our strengths as a team. We've actually won matches and, you know, at the start of the year winning a grand slam, I felt like, you know, that was, that was pivotal in a, in a moment where, you know, our team probably wasn't the best doubles team on the court, but through the use of analytics and through the use of relationships, I felt like we were probably the strongest team, not just players on the court. Um, and, you know, I felt like it was the opposition two players versus our team of, you know, we had about seven or eight guys in our team. And I thought I felt that was the pivotal turning point in how we got over the line. So there's no doubt that, um, you know, numbers and, and relationships are definitely a key factor in success. That, that movie reinforces to me that, that art, art and science sort of balance as well, which we, which has been a theme, I suppose, of our discussions across the, the last well, nearly 52 weeks, I think. <laughs> Next question's from Jamie from TikTok, actually. What do you recommend a player does to manage the dead time? Definitely not TikToking uh, during that dead time, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to see Mark's TikTok moves. I think uh, we might get something on social media for next week. <laughs> oh, gee, it's funny because I've got, I've got a three-year-old daughter and a five-year-old and they are on TikTok 24-7. And um, it's funny when I join them for their TikToks, they stop recording. So um, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it may be a show of my age and, and the embarrassing dad moments, but uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely not a TikToker. But I love this question, Shane, because it's something that we do talk about a hell, well, hell of a lot in terms of our coaching. And but maybe you can start with the numbers in terms of dead time. So about a quarter of the match is the actual playing time. So 25% playing time, 75% dead time. I'm going to throw some three other numbers. So of that dead time, 34% of the dead time relates to changes events. 52% is time in between points and 14% is time between first and second serves. Uh, slightly different for the, the men's and women's tour and, and as you know, the ATP, WTA, the ITF, but relatively similar in the, um, so nothing to sort of dwell too much on. But what I'm keen to understand from you, Mark, is any tips in relation to each of those different sort of times? Any recommendations to your players that you would give in those times? It's a fantastic question, I think, James. So, um, you know, it's really important that we, we take the dead time training into consideration. I don't feel as though a coach can implement something on game day that is is to do that this is all done in your training components so um there's a couple of key components that i've always heard heard spoken about on the pro tour um and that's like you you've got to forget the point as quick as the point was was played um you know if you're using a towel you're wiping away the last point i really love that analogy for athletes so go to your towel wipe away the last point reset reflect and move forward i feel as though there's always thinking time now if in your training sessions you're not simulating thinking time then we're not simulating the game and the game is all about how we control our thoughts and our emotions 
And if we're playing in high emotional states, if we're playing in high or less thinking time states, then we're not actually simulating what the game demands are. And it's always under pressure. It's always in a thinking environment. And if we can learn that and implement that into our training, we're going to have better athletes that are handling pressure much more often. Now, your training sessions may look slow. They may look messy. They may look like the kids aren't getting enough practice in, in terms of volume. But at the end of the day, what we are looking to provide or to produce on a tennis court is players that win matches. Now, I'm really sick and tired of hearing coaches and and people say, "Um, I don't care if you don't win. No, no, no. You're playing competitive sport to win. You go out there to compete. The best players in the world have a competitive characteristic in their nature. It's, it's a normal characteristic to be competitive. So you want to harness that competitiveness, but you want to give them the ability to handle those situations where things aren't going well, where they're you know, down or they're, or they're up and they've got to keep going or they're under pressure. You know, Get the momentum going a little bit. If, you, if you're losing the match, slow it down. Take your time between points a little bit more. You Go to your towel bounce the ball a little bit more and give them these tricks and, and tips along the way. And they, it needs to become natural for them. Yeah. This can't be a forced, uh, a forced situation for a player that is going, Oh, Oh my God, I'm, I'm down in this point in this game. If, if I lose this game, I lose the match and I better start my routines now. No, no routines are, are done through training and they become your habits. So um, I hope that answers the question. I really feel as though it's an important part of, of developing an athlete is developing the dead time, uh, routines really yeah yeah um, and uh, just a couple of points there I think um, that Mark t- touched on and that's about you know um, increasing the momentum so Ro- Roger Federer he's on average 18 seconds in between sort of serve when he's winning the point but he'll slow it down by about four seconds after he loses the point so he he definitely uses sort of a little bit of extra time to to galvanize himself after losing a point. So that's something he's done. And then some of the great players like Maria Sharapova, you know, Nadal, they've got a routine and they stuck stick to it uh, after each point. Uh, I know early in in, in the, both their careers that they were ridiculed a little bit for for doing that. But then uh, you know towards the end of the career when everyone's seen the success, they're like, actually, you know what, those routines really help them sort of go into the point focus. Yeah, outstanding. And I think it's a really good question from James. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to to understand what dead time is and understand those numbers that Shane did did give you. And then how can you implement that into your training? I think that's a really critical component. Sure. Final question we've got is from Trout Lee on Twitter. And uh, just uh, more, more a question, I, I think, around, you know, we, we've sort of communicated that, you know, tennis um, – or the, the analysis or the t- tennis is complicated. So how can uh, we say the analysis is simple? So I, I might start there. I completely agree. Tennis is a complicated sport. We've talked about it being open school, usually many options, many permutations of events that can happen within a point. So it's definitely complicated. And I don't think, I don't think uh, maybe I haven't communicated this clearly, but I don't think we've ever said the analysis needs to be simple and at times it's got to be really complicated with you know the maths and the pattern analysis and the data science techniques all of that i think it's it has to happen i think what we're stressing is the communication has to be simple so you you take that complex analysis you make it digestible for a coach and then a player so i almost think of it in three stages you got the analysis stage with the data scientist data analyst you got your stage b which is the coach where it's a little bit simpler and then you got stage three where the coach goes to the player which it's it's probably shorter and sharper and mark can certainly talk to that a bit more so to answer your question i don't think the analysis necessarily needs to be simple but the communication does yeah you're correct shane i think 
think the, um, you know, I know that you give me 350 pages of analysis on every match and I try and, I try and make sense of that. And, and literally, like you said, the communication to a player needs to be two or three key points. Um, that's the simple component of it. As we all know, players have to make so many decisions on the court at so many different times in the match under extreme pressure. And if I'm giving them, you know, Shane's data, then I'm in trouble, you know, but what Shane does is he breaks the game down to every minute little detail to ensure that I have everything I need. And then I pick what I need to use for the player at that moment. And, and, and that's where the simplicity comes in. It's in the communication side of it. You know, um, that's what I love about what, what data analysts do and what Shane does is they break it down so much that you it's into the compl- complicated way of tennis, which is great. Um, but then we sit together and we go, okay, but what are the key components that we need to use? We both discuss it together. And then the coach then simplifies it further to the player. Um, and the player has a really clear message as to what they need to do on the court. And, the last thing you want to do is complicate it for any athlete on the court. So we try and keep it as simple as we can in our communication. And, you know, analysis is critical. If you're not analyzing the game to, to the nth degree, then we're not doing the right job as coaches. So we need to be doing that. And yeah, I hope we answered that question, Trout. And, uh, and, and look forward to more of those questions because it's really important to, to try and understand what we do, you know, behind the scenes. And if there's anything that we can ever help any of you guys with out there, we, we really want to help as much as we possibly can because it's a, you know, it's, it's a complex matter, data and analyst analysis, and also coaching is, is complex. So we, you know, we want to try and simplify that for our listeners and for everyone out there. So if there's anything we can ever do, feel free to reach out to us. Really enjoyed sort of diving into some of those questions. Please keep doing that. I think um, we've really enjoyed unpicking. It's actually challenged us to think about some things as well. So big shout out to all, all those um, people that sort of sent those questions in on, on the various sort of social media channels. And yeah, once again, great, great episode. Uh, th- thanks, Mark. I can't wait for next week. Thanks, Shane. And I, I just want to finish off on one little thing. We had an email from uh, Emil Blosfeld, who is a coach in, I think, Melbourne. He, he actually wrote us an email to say he'd like to to hear our podcast go longer now we went longer than normal today i think it was about 25 minutes so um generally around the 17 18 minute mark hopefully that's a little bit better emil for you and we love the feedback keep it coming uh, we want to make ourselves better um we love getting feedback as well as giving feedback and that's and that's the way we operate and we love to bring the connection piece to all of you out there that are out there coaching or analyzing matches the way that Shane and I do. And we couldn't do this show without the great Shane Leonard. So Shane from Data Driven Sports Analytics, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks guys. Great episode once again, brought to you by the Tennis Menu, where you can get your online coach there, including your online data analyst, Shane Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics has his own package there. Uh, Really important, get to it. We have a free webinar coming up next Wednesday, the 25th of November. Get yourselves booked into that. We've got a limited amount of spots left. There's already a hell of a lot of coaches out there around the world that have already signed up. Get to the tennis menu. You'll see all the links there. Uh, We've got uh, plenty of chat around what the greatest athletes of all time have all been doing, the similarities and characteristics, the journey of coaching. So please join us there. Don't forget also to go to the First Serve page where you can see in the huddle, the Aussies only and the First Serve podcast are all up there on a weekly basis brought to you by the one and only Brett Phillips. So we thank you very much for joining us once again here on Crunching the Numbers. Subscribe to the First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Crunching the Numbers, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern, Aussies only, and in the huddle, produced by Study and Play USA.
Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.